Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, we have a very special dedication podcast going out to our listener, Trish. She writes... I found your show in January of 2017 when trying to find some episodes of The Shadow to entertain my dad who was in the hospital, quickly succumbing to bladder cancer. He adored The Shadow and instilled in me a love for the spoken word. We listened to all the episodes of your podcast, which were only a few at the time, but you helped me spend some precious time with my dad before his death on February 1st of 2017. I also looked up other episodes of The Shadow, but I really enjoy how you guys break it down. I was just wondering if you would dedicate the next episode with The Shadow to my dad, Lee Sova. Maybe The Laughing Corpse? Thanks for your consideration. We are always up for doing an episode of The Shadow, and especially for you and your dad, Trish. We've talked a lot about the history of The Shadow and its important place in radio history, so instead we'll tell you about Shrevey a New York City cab driver who often shuttles Lamont Cranston and his companion Margot Lane about town. He is played by Everett Sloan, whose radio work led him to be hired by Orson Welles to become part of his Mercury Theater. Sloan recorded one program with Mercury Theater on the air and became a regular player when the show was picked up by a sponsor and became the Campbell Playhouse. Sloan moved with the rest of the company to Los Angeles to continue recording the show after Wells signed his contract with RKO Pictures. Sloan played Mr. Bernstein in Wells' first movie, Citizen Kane. After filming rap, Sloan returned to New York to perform together with fellow Kane stars Ray Collins and Paul Stewart in Mercury Theater's last play, Richard Wright's Native Son, which had 114 performances from March to June of 1941. In the late 1930s, Shrevey was also played by Keenan Wynn, son of Ed Wynn, an American actor and comedian noted for his perfect fool comedy character, The Fire Chief, a pioneering radio show of the 1930s, and his later career as a dramatic actor. Peter Boyle played the role of Shrevey in the underrated 1994 film of The Shadow, starring Alec Baldwin. So now we bring you, by request, The Shadow, The Laughing Corpse, originally broadcast March 10, 1940, and dedicated to Trish and Lee Silva. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. The shadow uses his hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so that they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the shadow belongs. Today's story, The Laughing Court. (laughs) 
I see you come into the bar, I says to myself, there's a nice guy, I says. I'm a very keen judge of character. Yes, sir. So when you offer to buy me a drink, I accept. Uh, say, by the way, mister, you ain't told me your name. Uh, what kind of a place is this you took me to? Looks like a lab or something. <laughs> you know what I enjoyed? When we got into the taxi cab. Yeah, I sure enjoyed that. Driver, take us to 31 Blackwell Place. 31 Blackwell Place. <laughs> Gee, it's been a long time since I had a taxi ride. 31 Blackwell Place, just like that. Yeah, sure was nice of you to bring me here. I've been sleeping in the park for, gosh. Say, uh, what did you mean when you said we was going to conduct a little experiment? What did you mean, huh? Why aren't you talking to me? You ain't sore, are you? Well, don't talk if you don't want to. I don't care. <laughs> what are you making in those test tubes? What kind of stuff are you making? Say, why are you looking at me like that? What have I done? Don't look at me like that. Hey, don't come any closer. I'm getting out of here. makes me angrier. Shrevey. Yes, sir? Do you know where you're driving us to? Uh, let me see now. Uh, uh, what was the number of that place again, Miss Lane? What was it? 31 Blackwell Place, Shrevey. Oh, yeah, yeah. 31 Blackwell Place. Oh, I'm such a stupid. We've been there twice today, and all the time I keep forgetting the number. i got to get a new memory system i got to get. What was the old memory system, Shrevey? Oh, the old one was easy. You see, like, take for instance... Uh, where, what's where you're going, Shrevey? Oh, excuse me. Uh, you take, for instance, the digits three and one, which is the place we're going to now. I hooks the three up with my kid, which is three years old, and the one I remember is by thinking how in one year he's going to be four. <laughs> Simple, ain't it? <laughs> Elementary. How could you possibly have forgotten the address of that system, Shrevey? You know how? I got myself all mixed up with my other kid, which is six. Oh, I'm such a stupid. <laughs> Shrevey, I feel just as stupid as you do. I still don't know where we're going, why we're going to this place at 11.30 at night. Well, if you wait till tomorrow, the apartment may be rented. Shrevey, now you've given it all away. Margot, are you taking me apartment hunting at this hour? You know I hate that. Oh, but Lamont, don't you see? I wouldn't take it unless you thought it was all right. I know, but... You know how I value your opinion. Well, why didn't you tell me sooner? Well, I wanted to surprise you. Okay, I'm hooked. <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing about?
Shrevey. Well, I was just thinking, Mr. Cranston. I was thinking how dames could twist guys right around their little fingers. They could twist them. Uh, that'll be about all from you, Shrevey. Don't talk so much. Yes, sir. All right for you, Mr. Cranston. You're pretty jumpy tonight, Lamont. What's the matter? Oh, nothing, Margo. I'm just bored, that's uh, all. I know. You haven't had any to keep you busy. No criminals tracked on. Shrevey, why'd you stop? Shrevey! Shrevey, why don't you answer? Mr. Cranston said I shouldn't talk. I shouldn't, so I ain't. <laughs> oh, now, you see what you've done, Lamont? You've hurt Shrevey's feelings. I'm sorry, Shrevey. I'm in a bad humor tonight. No, I know you ain't, Mr. Cranston. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, here we are. This is the building, 31 Brackwell Place. Yeah, yeah, it's 31 Brackwell Place. That's why I stopped, 31 Brackwell Place. Uh, wait for it, Shrevey. Okay. Come on, up this slide of steps, Lamont. All right. This certainly is a weird-looking place. Well, that's just because it's dark. Looks all right in the daylight. Yeah. Ring the superintendent's bell, will you, Lamont? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, Margo, uh, won't he be angry at our disturbing him at this hour? Oh, no. He told me I could come back tonight to look at the apartment. Oh. Well, what's so exceptional about this apartment, Margo? Oh, Lamont, it has these high, old-fashioned ceilings and the most glorious view of the river. Well, uh, well... What do you want? Oh, you remember me. I'm Margot Lane. I put a deposit down on one of the apartments here. So what? No, he won't be angry. Well, you said I could come back tonight to look at it. I said you could come back this evening. It's 11.30 now, young lady. You got me out of bed. Well, what did I tell you, Margot? Oh, please, Mr. Um... My name is Lascom. Please, Mr. Lascom. I, I know it's very inconsiderate to bother you at this hour, but couldn't we please see the apartment? Oh, well, come in. Thank you. Down the end of this hall. Uh, aren't there any lights? The bulb just burned out this evening. Oh, I see. Here we are. Just a minute now till I find the light switch. Nice bright place. There. How do you like it, Lamont? Like it? I think it looks terrible. Well, of course, the place needs redecorating. Yes, and badly. Well, look at the holes in the wall. What caused that? Well, the previous tenant was Dr. Destruff. He's a chemist. He used this apartment as a kind of a laboratory. The holes are from some of his apparatus. Oh, I see. Well, what do you think, Lamont? Well, if you want it quiet, you certainly got it here. Yes, and it's always like this. Always nice and quiet. <laughs> What's that? I don't know. Someone thinks something is funny, all right. Well, listen to him. Lamont, that doesn't sound like... Come on, Margo. I'm going to see what this is all about. There, Lamont. Across that door sill. Dr. Lorenz. Here, give me a hand. His body's so tense. As if he had a convulsion or something. Let's turn him over. Yeah, we are. Oh! Oh, his face. His face, Lamont. Margo, get hold of yourself. Oh, but his face, Lamont, it's all twisted up as though we were laughing. Oh, don't look at him, Margo. What are we going to do? Oh. There's nothing we can do now. This man is dead. Now, what makes you think Dr. Lorenz was murdered, Cranston? I don't know, Commissioner Weston. Just a hunch. Well, there's not a mark of violence on the body. Well, if you'd heard that terrible laugh, Commissioner, you'd think something was wrong, too. 
Miss Lane, I'm sorry. I didn't hear the laugh. But even if I had, there's still not a bit of evidence here. Not a single clue to indicate murder. Well, Commissioner... All right, all right. Now, you, you, uh... Lascom is my name. Oh, uh, Lascom. Now, what do you know about this? I told you nothing. I was showing Mr. Cranston and Miss Lane that apartment when it happened. Uh, did the dead man, Dr. Lawrence, have any enemies, Lascom? No, not that I know of. Who was the man who occupied that apartment Miss Lane was thinking of renting? Dr. Destroff. But I told you that, Commissioner West. Ah, Destroff and Lorenz. Yeah. Now I remember those names. They're partners. They own a big chemical laboratory. Didn't you know that? You didn't ask me. I didn't ask you. Uh, why did Destroff move out of his apartment? He had a big argument with his partner, Dr. Lorenz, about two weeks ago, and he moved out the next day. Then he's the one who must have done it. Done what, Miss Lane? Murdered Dr. Lorenz. Miss Lane, as yet I'm not convinced that Lorenz has been murdered. In the second place, from what your cab driver, Shrevey, says, no one has come in or out of this house. Well, maybe he's still here, then. Miss Lane, my men have searched this house from top to bottom. Well, I still could... Cranston, please. I understand, Commissioner. Come on, Margot. You're I going home. in all my... Uh, Commissioner. Uh, oh, yes, Doc. What is it? How long ago was this man supposed to have died? Well, we heard the laugh and then the sound of a body falling about an hour ago. From my examination, you couldn't have. What? Huh? Are you trying to tell us that we're hearing things? Well, all I can say is it's all pretty strange. What do you mean, Doctor? Well, the body was as stiff as a board when I examined him. Rigor mortis is so far advanced, you couldn't possibly have heard him laugh tonight. What? According to my examination, Dr. Lorenz has been dead for 24 hours. The way the medical examiner talked, you think we didn't know what we were doing, Lamont. How could the man be dead and laugh? The laughing corpse. It is pretty strange, Margot. I think Commissioner Weston ought to get a new medical examiner. That's what I think. Well, Margot, you remember when I went to turn Dr. Lawrence over, I remarked that the body was stiff? And it does look as if he'd been dead for some time. But that terrible laugh, Lamont. What is that? I don't know, Margot. And Lorenz's face was contorted as though he'd been laughing. Margot, I believe it was Lawrence that we heard. Why do you say that, Lamont? And look at this. Why, it's a little box. Looks like a jewel box. Yes. Read what's written inside the cover. You will laugh, but not from joy. You will laugh, and the laugh will be the laugh of death. The monk. I found this little box lying in the floor near Lorenz's body before Weston came. What do you suppose was in it, Lamont? I don't know, Margot. But I'm going to find out. The Shadow is going to pay a visit to Dr. Destro's laboratory tonight. Perhaps there I shall find the solution to the mystery of the laughing corpse.
and the laugh will be the laugh of death. Uh, where did you hear that? The shadow has ways of finding things out, Dr. Destroff. You'd better tell me what you know of the laughing death. The laughing death? You tell me, Shadow. Has it already happened? Is Lorenz dead? It won't do you any good to pretend innocence. Lorenz was murdered earlier this evening. Uh, how did he die? Tell me, I must know. You know how he died. Yes, yes, I know. I know how he died, just as the notes warned us. The notes? They're not since last year. Uh, so he has made good his strength. Who, Destroff? Uh, I'd better tell you everything, Shadow. Seven years ago, there was another partner in this laboratory besides myself and Destroff. A man named Vitor. He was incompetent, a drunkard. When Lorenz and I perfected a new formula, we refused to give him a share of the profits. Go on. After heated words, we dissolved the partnership with Vitor. Then Lorenz and I opened a new laboratory by ourselves. You threw him out? Oh, call it that if you will. He only hindered us. He was ruined. No money, no credit. And he was really a brilliant chemist, but undependable. It was impossible for him to get work. What happened to him? That we do not know. He came to us and begged to be taken back, but we refused. Lorenz laughed at him, and I suppose I did too. He was so ridiculous. Vito threatened you? Yes, with the laughing death. Each year a note has come with the same words. You will laugh, but not from joy. You will laugh, and the laugh will be the laugh of death. I see. Why did you and Lawrence quarrel? Why did you move from your apartment? Oh, you know that too. Yes, Destroff, I know. Well, you see, Lawrence took the threat seriously, and I did at first. But after nothing happened for so many years, I, I thought it was just, well, uh, a means of annoyance. And this year, no note came. And Lawrence was very much upset and worried. He believed it meant that Vidor would strike. And you? Well, I laughed at the whole idea. I told Lorenzo that if he wanted to go the rest of his life fearing a foolish threat, he could. But I refused to bother about it anymore. And this led to words, and I left in anger. I see. Now, where does this other partner live? Oh, why, I think that he... Oh, what is this? Oh, I did not notice it before. A small package addressed to me. My assistant must have put it on my desk earlier, and I had not noticed it. And don't touch that box. Why, it looks like a little jewel box. A tiny box similar to that one was found next to Lorenz's body. Oh, yes? What was in it, Shadow? Nothing, Dustroff. Except that threat written on the inside cover. Oh, now surely the words cannot hurt me. There may have been something in the box when Lorenz opened it. Oh, now, Shadow. My scientific curiosity will not permit me to allow this box to go unopened. I have rubber gloves on it. If it contains some strange type of poison, it, it cannot possibly hurt me. Yes, God, I'm warning you. Oh, now, Shadow, I must open it. There, there seems to be a little push button here. There. It's empty. Wait. There's a message written on the inside. You will laugh, but not from joy. You will laugh, and the laugh will be the laugh of death. The same note that Lorenz received. Yes. Destroff, your life is in danger. You must tell me where Vitor lives. Yes, yes. Before he can complete his revenge. I think that he leaves. I, 
<laughs> I think. <laughs> Should I put these bundles, Miss Lane? Oh, just set them down anywhere, Shrevey. I'll put them away when the rest of the furniture comes. Okay, Miss Lane. Well, don't drop them right in the middle of the room, Shrevey. Well, you said just to put them down anywhere, you said. Well, I meant out of the way, over there in the corner someplace. Okay. Hey, what do you got in these packages, Ambrose? Just odds and ends, Shrevey. There, how's that? That's fine. Now, is there anything else in your cab? Yeah, Miss Lane, a few more odds and evens. Mr. Clancy's bringing them up. Hey! Open this door a little wider, someone. I can't get through. All right. How's that? Uh, what have you got in these bundles, Margo? They ain't anvils, they ain't. What? Put them down, Lamar, before he drops them. Yeah, not in the center of the room, Mr. Clancy. Out of the way, in the corner there. Shrevey, will you stop giving orders and do some work around here? Certainly. What could I do? What could I? Well, there isn't anything else to do until the rest of the stuff gets here. I should have been here an hour ago. Hey, you want I should go back to the old apartment and get them moving faster, you want? That might be a very good idea, Shrevey. Okay, I'll do it. I'll tell them a thing or two. I'll teach them a lesson they'll soon forget. Now, don't get too rough with us moving men, Shrevey. Remember, the iron hand and the velvet glove. Well, I look... What? Oh, never mind, Shrevey. Hurry them up. The iron hand and the velvet glove. I guess that's a puzzle. <laughs> Well, Margo, you thought of everything except one thing. What? What are you going to sit on while you wait for the movers to get here? Oh, I'll be too busy to sit down, Lamont. But you know, now that I'm here in this apartment, I'm not very keen on it. You're not? No. Well, isn't that just like a woman? What about the high ceilings and the glorious view of the river? Oh, that's all right, Lamont, but... Well, this place gives me the creeps. I can still hear the sound of that horrible laugh. First, you tell me you don't like the apartment, and then you persuade me to move here. Well, Margot, the reason I wanted you to rent this apartment is I believe that the solution to the laughing corpse may still be here. Well, that isn't going to make me feel any better about living here. Have the police found anything new, Lamont? No. A report from the medical examiner on Destroth's death was the same as for Lawrence. Death from causes unknown. And there was nothing in the little box when Destroth opened it? Not a thing, except that note. Here, look for yourself. Oh, yes. It's exactly like the little box you found in Lorenzo's apartment. How do you open it, Lamont? Here, give it to me. See, you press this little button here in the center. <gasps> oh! What's the matter, Lamont? I break my finger on something sharp when I push the button. That's it, Margot. What? That must be the way the poison was administered. After Destro pressed the button to open the box, he started to laugh. Well, Lamont, then you... Yes, a drug. Now I've got it, too. Oh, no, Lamont. Well... Nothing's happened to me yet. Why did you break the box open, Lamont? See here, Margo. A tiny hypodermic needle concealed in the cover. When the button is pressed, the person pushing the button is given a dose of poison in the fingertip. Oh, Lamont, come on. I must get you to a doctor. Wait a minute, Margo. That won't be necessary. I'm going to be all right. But you... The needle must have been empty, Margo. Destroff got it all. Oh, thank heaven. You're all right. Margo, where's your phone? I've got to call Commissioner Weston immediately. The phone... Well, it hasn't been installed yet, Lamont. Oh, well, I'll go to the corner of the phone. Come in. I just came up to tell you, Miss Lane, that the decorators are coming in tomorrow. I'll see you later, Margo. All right, Lamont. The decorators want to know if 8 o'clock will be all right with you. Oh, yes, that'll be fine, Mr. Lascombe. Thank you. Oh, there was something else I wanted to ask you about. 
The plumbing in the kitchen doesn't work very well, and do you think that... Well, Mr. Loscom, what's the matter? Where did you get this little box? Well, I, I don't see that that's any business of yours. Perhaps it is. More than you know. Tell me. Let go of my arm. What do you know? I'll scream for help. Go ahead, scream. No one will hear you. We're quite alone here. You. You're the killer. You killed Lorenz and Destro. Well, suppose I did. You know now, but it won't do you any good to know. You're going to die. Lamont! Oh, go ahead. You're frightened, aren't you? In a moment, you'll think it's very funny. Yes, very humorous. Please. You'll laugh. Yes, you'll laugh. Oh, no. And you will die laughing. You wanted to catch me, make me pay for my crime. I would never have suspected you if you hadn't given yourself away. <laughs> That's most unfortunate for you, Miss Lane. What do you mean? You see, I've brought you down here to my laboratory in the basement to kill you. Oh, no. Don't be unhappy. You laugh as you never laughed before. Oh, you can't. I'm preparing my secret formula. The laughing death. Oh, no, now, please. One for you and one hypodermic for your friend, Mr. Cranston. Please, I promise I'll never say anything. Too bad I can't believe that. Oh. It won't do you any good to try to get loose. I took the precaution of finding you very tightly. <laughs> now, now everything's ready. No. No, don't come any closer. Prepare yourself, Miss Lane. It won't hurt very much. You'll be so happy. So happy. You will laugh. And laugh. And laugh. And then you will die. What? Something knocked the hypodermic needle from my hand. This is the end of your evil work, Lascom. That voice. The shadow, thank heaven. So you were the third partner, Lascom. Yes. I was in partnership with Lorenz and Destro. Now I'm the only one alive. They ruined me. They took everything from me. You're out of your mind, Lascom. You blame them for your own fault. No. No, they caused my downfall, so I killed them. You vowed to revenge yourself. You came here, got yourself a job as superintendent in the same building in which they lived. Yes. I disguised myself. They never recognized me. You're a brilliant mind, Lascom. It's a great loss to civilization that you couldn't have used it for good instead of evil. The police will soon the police. be here. Will never get me. Shadow, stop him. He has another needle ready with the poison. Stop, Lescom. Stop, I say. Too late, Shadow. I've already administered the drug to myself. At least I have the last laugh. <laughs> you know where I was, Lamont? When I came back to the apartment after calling Weston, you were gone. I figured you were with the superintendent. You remember he came in just before I went out? Yes, Lascom or whatever his name was. His real name was Vitor. Well, Vitor disguised himself and took the job here as superintendent of the building so he could watch his enemies, Destroff and Lorenz. That's right, Margot. Then he sent them the little boxes with the hidden hypodermic needles filled with the laughing death. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, Lamont, just the memory of that terrible laughter makes my blood run cold. And the look on Lorenzo's face when we found him. Margo, we didn't really hear him laugh. What? Well, if that wasn't a laugh, what was it? Well, you see, the poison in the hypodermic needle was very potent and worked very rapidly. It caused a sort of convulsion that sounded like laughter. Well, if you're trying to tell me that the victims didn't enjoy themselves, you needn't go any farther. <laughs> Is that why the medical examiner thought that Lorenz had been dead for some time when he examined him? Yes, the poison caused a sudden contraction of the muscles, a sort of pseudo-rigor mortis. What? Pseudo-rigor mortis. Oh. If you think I understand what you're talking about, you're crazy. <laughs> I'll answer it, Margaret. Hello, Mr. Cranston. Hello. Hello, Shrevey. Oh, Shrevey, is everything all set? In the bed. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, Miss Lane, all set. Oh, come on, Lamar, let's go. Go where? We're going to look at a new apartment for me. New apartment? Well, you don't suppose I'm going to live in this place after what's happened here? Yeah, we're moving. What, again? That's the same thing I said, Mr. Cranston. Ain't women... Shrevey? Well, Miss Lane, I was only about to comment, uh, ain't women wonderful. <laughs> I got out of that one all right. <laughs> <laughs> That was The Shadow and the episode The Laughing Corpse here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Aaron. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a special dedication request coming to us from our listener, Trish, going out to her father, Lee. And thank you so much, Trish, uh, for not only listening, but for sharing our podcast with uh, your father and uh, all your kind words, and uh, also for recommending us to listen to yet another episode of The Shadow, and a great one, a great episode of The Shadow. However, we cannot just do shadow episodes, so don't... (laughs) We're not encouraging everybody to say, here's another episode of The Shadow. I mean, we could just we do could. shadow episodes. I would love very little to. persuasion, we would honestly change this to a shadow podcast. <laughs> but we're, we're trying to be good here. All right. So let's talk about The Laughing Corpse. Now, oh. it is an episode of The Shadow, so there are things, of course, that we love. I'm going to start with Tim, because yeah. Tim uh, is new ish to the shadow when we first started this podcast he had never listened to one yeah this is like your third or fourth ever yes right so uh i think and this you... is a sort of different era of shadow i believe from the... this is the I... earliest era of the shadow that we've listened to this yes. is pretty soon after orson Welles departure i know in the past I've, I've certainly enjoyed the shadow but i've always had a, a little chuckle at the odd domestic dynamic of lamont uh margo and their buddy, the shadow, they talk about in the third person all the time. <laughs> you know, our friend who goes out and murders people for, for justice. <laughs> but this one I just loved. I tapped into that obsessive love that you guys have. Oh, that was so good. I loved it so much. <laughs> what was it about this one that was slightly different? I grew up as a serious comic book fan and probably at some point going to mention just how much the character of the Joker is, there it is. born out of this exact story. Mm. It is one of those things that like, I thought I knew what that character was. I thought I knew what that story was. And now I see that it is an echo of this, I dare say, more perfect source material. Yeah, and it's unclear whether this was directly lifted for the Joker because they came out very close to one another. Uh, like mm-hmm. the Joker's first appearance was Batman issue number one that came out June 1940, and this is from March 1940. And that was also the first appearance of the Joker laughing gas. 
All of this is news to me. I have in my notes, oh, laughing evil, the worst kind of evil. See the Joker. I had no idea there was some kind of connection between this story and possibly the concept for the Joker. The concept of the laughing gas is specifically from the Joker, and I'm like 99% sure that the first appearance of the Joker is laughing gas or laughing venom or whatever. It's been called different things. That kills people and leaves them with a huge rigor mortis grin on their face is from the Joker's very first appearance a month and a half after this episode of The Shadow aired. Is this a guess on your part, or is this something that people discuss... Other than you. Do you know what I mean? No, this is often discussed. And I mean, even the first episode uh, or the first issue of Batman in Detective Comics, the case of the (laughs) Chemical Syndicate, as an admitted ripoff of a shadow novel, The Partners of Peril. Really? Yep. Bob Kane just said, yep. (laughs) Took that from the shadow. So I did that on my own. (laughs) (laughs) I made that connection without all that. Uh, but it's true. Laughing evil is the worst kind of evil. You know, clowns and fake insincere laughter. But that's really fascinating. And now that you're saying that, I had no idea there was any connection between Batman and the Shadow until this very moment. Oh, highly None. influenced. And now that by I think shadow. about it, yeah, uh, moves in the dark. Batman Bat- carried guns. Guns, yeah. yeah, yeah. So screw you, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> you're the Shadow. <laughs> Uh, and specific things where the performances in this, the, the actual laughing is so unnerving. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the description of the little box, the sort of insidious idea of the little needle, it all really, really effective. And I liked it a lot. Yeah. And I liked the laugh itself mirroring the shadow's laugh. You've got yeah. mm-hmm. the shadow's evil laugh and then this sort of maniacal, desperate death laugh. Yeah, it's a really fun story. I love how The Shadow is simple. And I think we've discussed this before, and I love simple. <laughs> but in this case, the corpse was laughing. Why? And then a very uh, plausible uh, solution to why that happened is presented to us, and it's solved. You know what I mean? Like It's, just, it's, just, it's very it, straightforward. It's very straightforward. But and the I like trappings that. are really stylized the and tra- fun but- and work well for audio. And But the trappings of getting me interested are just so easy. The corpse is laughing. Yes, I would like to find out more. <laughs> you know, like that's such a great hook. You and Margo, she was so mad when the <laughs> medical examiner wouldn't believe her. <laughs> like, I, think, I think we need a new medical examiner. We need someone who believes in laughing corpses. There's clearly something wrong here. There is a, a little bit of, now that I'm talking it, that, that weird domestic element mm. of... Looking for an apartment at 11 at night? Well, and to solve this problem, why don't I have my girlfriend move into the building? (laughs) Yes, right? I I wrote it down. Like, so you're going to rent the apartment where the guy died so you can solve the case. I don't know. Why don't you have the apartment claim a crime scene (laughs) and then you can look around all you want? Such a terrible idea. Lamont Cranston and his lovely companion, Judas Goat. (laughs) (laughs) Which is amazing to me. By the way, how every moment of Margot and Lamont's life finds them in the middle of so much crazy, and you, you would think that it would have some kind of effect of, on them in some way. <laughs> nope, they just laugh it off. Which, good for them. And there's the scene of Lamont actually getting stabbed with a needle of Margot's increasing concern of, um, I think you might have been poisoned, we should probably get some help. Ah, uh, I'm probably fine. It's- <laughs> yes, he's really casual about that. <laughs> yes, he is. Oh, wait. It was all used on the other guy. We're good. He was never panicked. (laughs) 
right? <laughs> I wasn't in, in thinking about this episode comparing the sort of two models of detective fiction, broadly speaking, of like the Agatha Christie, we're going to solve this crime through discovery of clues and reasonable jumps of logic versus the more hard-boiled of we're just going to stand near people who look suspicious until somebody coughs up a confession. Right. <laughs> and this is much more the latter, which I thought like, well, I'm going to... Just put my girlfriend here until someone confesses. <laughs> you know, you were just saying also about nobody being worried about anything and how they don't get... This episode especially is a great example of that infallible hero idea that I love so much. They're never, ever upset about any. Nothing gets them. And I love that. He's not totally infallible. He is very cranky in that car at 1130 at night. (laughs) Well, he's been been duped into apartment hunting with his girlfriend. So he's not completely infallible. (laughs) (laughs) I like at the beginning also the homeless guy making sure that we hear that address. It's a nice sequence, the one-sided conversation, though. Yeah, Uh, it is. It's beautiful, but I don't know what the address was, you know, 36, you know. Blackwell, Blackwell Street, or Street. Like that. I loved how you said that. Thirty-six was, uh, Blackwell Street. You just said that out loud. It was thirty-one because Shrevey's child was three. <laughs> oh, that's and right. A year he'd be. Four. But his other kid's six, so right. don't. <laughs> so, what did you think of Shrevey? This is your first, this is your first uh, exposure to Shrevey. Well, the, the, aside from Peter Boyle, of course. Right. Oh, um, yes, in the Shadow movie. <laughs> well, he's, very different depiction. My perception of the sort of domestic world of Shadow was even enhanced by having what is essentially the wacky neighbor. Mm-hmm. Who they both enjoy <laughs> abusing quite yes. a lot, too. Yeah. They, they're particularly hard on him. Usually they have more of a sense of humor for him, but I, they give him a hard time throughout. And there's a lot of Shrevy in this episode. Yeah. Uh, it's usually not quite that much when he appears. Uh, and Shrevy gets ripped uh, half the time online from OTR fans. Uh, they'll say, oh, I can't stand the comic relief and da-da-da. He was much different in the pulps, correct? He was a lighter character, but he was not a comedy character. Right. He was a cab driver and spoke like a cab driver, but everything in the Pulps was really serious. And But he also was part of the underground team. Yeah, it was team. Like Harry Vincent and Burbank, and then mm-hmm. just a whole cast of these secret agents and secret operatives of the Shadow. Which they got rid of when they brought it to the radio show. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a gang. No, except for Shrevey for comic relief purposes. <laughs> I never am quite sure. Is he aware of the shadow is Lamont Cranston? They were specifically saying that only Margot knows. Yeah, I don't think so. And I can believe that they could say just about anything to Shrevey than would not register. (laughs) Because he's never even part of the stories. He really is comic relief, as in if he's Mm -hmm. there, nothing of narrative significance is happening. So he could be easily excised, and it would n- never affect any story he's in, at least any that I can think of off the top of my head. And Lamont just keeps stealing the biggest pieces of evidence from the crime scene <laughs> both times. Because over and over again, Weston's like, there is no evidence here to suggest a murder. And I, as a listener, I'm going, boy, is this is that the mystery here that no one leaves any evidence behind? And then <laughs> the shed is like, I took this box with this clue written on it from the... <laughs> From the murdered body before the police got here. And he does it again when he yes. goes uh-huh. to visit the other scientists. <laughs> Let's he, just take the scientific approach of 
touching it until something happens. <laughs> I like when he goes to visit the other scientist. We're not sure if he's a bad guy yet or not, as the shadow is talking to him. By the way, um, just want to throw it out there. It was completely unnecessary for him to be the shadow at all. <laughs> there was no point in him being the shadow in this episode ever. Oh, no. At the very end, he uses his invisibility to knock the needle out of the Correct. bad guy's Until hand. Until he gets the other needle. <laughs> yes. He's slow. The shadow's <laughs> invisible, but slow. <laughs> but so he visits the other scientist, and we're waiting to see, oh, is this bad guy? And we find out, oh, no, he's not a bad guy. This is, he's not part of this. But how quickly that other scientist just starts talking to the invisible voice in the room and has no problem having this conversation with the invisible. He just he adapted really well, he well does to that. Acknowledge that, oh, the shadow, right, the invisible guy. I've heard of you. I mean, he <laughs> essentially says something along those lines, and then Still. he's like, hey, time to open up. <laughs> I suppose that's the point of being the shadows if Lamont Cranston just came by and, hey, could you tell me your criminal past? But the shadow, you just want to talk. Yeah, maybe. Therapists need to be invisible. Maybe that is like the, the key to having huge breakthroughs. It's just not that's seeing his, the person you're talking yes, to. That's I'm actual, behind this curtain laughing. Tell me what you need to. That's his actual power. He's just really easy to talk to. That's why everybody tells him stuff. It did have the one ridiculous one? radio moment. Well, it's when the scientist is in the middle of talking to the shadow, and then suddenly he notices the box on his desk. And it is the most fascinating oh, yes. thing. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> sentence I'm about to tell hey, you. Hey, wait. There's this box here, Shadow. <laughs> what is this, Mike? Don't touch it. Oh, I put it. Oh, oh I can't. I'm, I'm so. I'm a scientist. I'm super curious. I am going to touch this. Please don't. <laughs> nope. Stop touching the murder box. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the Shadow's invisible. He could have stopped him. But instead, he's just like, don't do. Okay. He's, he uses a lot of tough love. The show. Yes. <laughs> I told you, you got to find out the consequences for yourself. There's another great radio moment that seems to me a writer moment. Uh, Margo says to the killer landlord, <laughs> says, I would have never suspected you if you hadn't just told me. <laughs> Wait, right. Where'd you get that box? No one would have had any idea you were involved. And it's like the writers went, oh, right. <laughs> we shouldn't have said that. We shouldn't have done it that way. We'll just have Margot pointed out that they're dumb. <laughs> we also learned some scientific facts about uh, the human body, that laughing is merely just convulsions. It's pre-rigor mortis. That's all laughing is. It's pre-rigor mortis. So next time you're laughing, know how close you are. Tim, careful. Sorry. <laughs> Why is it, and I think we talk about this every time, that we just went through this. If this was any other show, we'd be like, yeah, that was stupid. But why do we love this so much? Why are we so forgiving of all of these things we just brought up? It's so imaginative and so iconic. And I don't know if I would say that because I have known, you have known, we have known these icons for so long, or how quickly, like, when you hear that for the first time, if you know nothing about any of the legacy of The Shadow or this episode, do you just hear that and go, wow, that sticks in your head? Yeah. I think there's something to that. We, we bring our fondness for this character and for these stories to the listening experience. But I, I also think I would be hard on an episode of The Shadow that had a lot of internal 
inconsistencies. I mean, The Shadow, this is the style of show it is. And it never deviates from that. It tells you at the top, these are the kind of narrative shortcuts we're going to take. These mm-hmm. are the character shortcuts we're going to take. Mm-hmm. And it is consistent and, like you said, stylistically well done all the way through. So judging it on its own merits, this is fantastic, even in the parts that are hokey. Because I, I think the writers knew even the hokey parts were hokey, even at the time. Right. If you wouldn't have told me that, I would have never <laughs> suspected you. <laughs> It's an interesting question, and it's a fair question to ask, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. After we just said all the things we said and all these laughs that we've had about these moments, why do we find this so dear? Because I think that your willingness to suspend disbelief mm-hmm. on an individual level is often a moving target. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we all notice that for things that we give more slack to. Yeah, and I think you're right in the sense that it's written and told to you, suspend your disbelief. You go in with that. So I think that helps a lot. But as far as episodes of The Shadow goes, this is a great one. I love this so much. I remember the cassette set it came in, the color of it all. I remember what episode was on the other side of the cassette. It was The Giant of Madras, which is also a very good episode Mm -hmm. of The Shadow. But yeah, so I listened to this a lot when I was younger. I have one quibble with it, and it's every shadow that does this, I have the quibble, and I brought it up earlier. Becoming the shadow is the coolest part of the show, it, for me. I love when he becomes a shadow, and Lamont Cranston was more of a private mm-hmm. detective in this than, than the shadow was necessary, so that makes me a little crazy. But uh, Yeah, in all fairness, there's a lot of shadows like that. There's a, like a whole stretch of mm-hmm. the shadow where his invisibility could be totally removed. Mm-hmm. I think the last shadow we listened to, I thought, just featured... This. He snuck up on a guy in a cl- pantry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. He was in a pantry, and he scared the bad guy out the window at the end. Then <laughs> <laughs> the police got her. <laughs> All right. Should we vote? Uh, hated it. Hated it. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, it's the shadow, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I would say that... Almost all the shadows stand the test of time for me, but also uh, I would call this a classic of the shadow. It was a really well-written and really fun piece, but also because now that I've learned that it has launched one of the greatest uh, villains in history, uh, the Joker. I did not know the tie-in was so close. So, yes, a classic stands the test of time. Yeah, I would definitely say a classic. And among its many achievements, it's funny at points, genuinely funny. It is genuinely disturbing at points. I mean, even to a modern ear without any sort of accommodating the time, like that's quite upsetting and exciting at times. That, that's for a half an hour show. That's pretty impressive. I can add nothing to what you guys have just said. I agree wholeheartedly to all that. Uh, yeah, a classic. And thank you again, Trish, for sharing your story with us and for your suggestion and request for this episode of The Shadow for Your Dad Lee. All right. If you want to learn more, please go to ghoulishdelights.com. There you'll find other episodes of this podcast. You will also find information about our live shows. We occasionally do live shows. You will find links to our Threadless store where you can go buy Mysterious Old Radio swag. Uh, You can also find links to our Patreon page where you can help support this podcast. It's much appreciated. As well as links to our Facebook and Instagram accounts. We are also recommending another podcast, Breaking Walls. They are doing a radio history of... 
Radio. Weird. Uh, it starts at the very beginning of radio through the history of dramatic radio to today. And it's a great series of documentaries. I've learned a lot listening to it already. So check that out at thewallbreakers.com. And also, if you're online looking at our website, looking at other podcasts that we've said it's okay to listen to, uh, <laughs> uh, go ahead and go to iTunes and write us a review because we like reviews. All right. Next one. Uh, next one is me. Uh, I'll be bringing us back to Murder by Experts for an episode entitled I Dreamt I Died. Until then. Look out! I would never have suspected you if you hadn't given yourself away. <laughs> That's most unfortunate. <laughs> I got out of that one all right. <laughs>